Okay, I'm Mark Eden, um, one half of the Eden Stell duo, one quarter of the Vida Guitar Quartet, teacher at Birmingham Conservatoire and Guildhall Junior School. I'm Chris Stell, the other half of the Eden Stell Guitar Duo and part of the Vida Guitar Quartet, uh, teach in London at the Royal College of Music with Gary Ryan and really enjoying my time here in the States. We did, a, we did a radio thing years ago, Classic FM, for Mark's wedding. I um, redid the interview and took out all the words and just left, and just the, left the ums in. So it was like this whole 10 minute tape, and we just going, it was just like that, you know, like, it went on for ages. I was like, oh no. That's awesome. <laughs> awesome. So it's like a little piece of music. Yeah, yeah it was weird. John Cage would have been proud of that. <laughs> bouncing ideas off each other in a way and sort of yeah. developing as it goes. So it's kind of a musical conversation all the time. We were, we were totally we're intimidated. I'm just too old for this. <laughs> you know. I can't, we're only human for God's sakes. But we but eventually I, got around yeah, and did it. Hey everyone, this is Scott Wolf, and today I don't need to announce the show because Chris from Eden Stell Guitar Duo was nice enough to do it for me, BBC style. Welcome to All Strings Considered, a podcast for all you classical guitarists out there in the USA and around the world. So as you might have already figured out, Eden Stell Guitar Duo is a London-based guitar duo who happened to stop by for a coffee and a chat during their last US tour. Mark Eden and Chris Stell have been playing as a guitar duo for more than two decades now. They have a really impressive catalogue of recordings, encompassing a wide range of musical styles and time periods. While they were here, we talked about their time studying with the Assad brothers, about some of their newest projects, outreach, ensemble, and lots more. All Strings Considered is brought to you in part by Guitar Salon International, the world's largest selection of fine classical and flamenco guitars and accessories. So the GFA International Convention and Competition will take place this month, June 25th to the 30th, in Louisville, Kentucky. It's featuring guest artists like Zoran Dukic, Marcin Dila, Agnello Desiderio, Elliot Fisk, Berta Rojas, and many more. For more information, visit the GFA website at guitarfoundation.org. So let's start from the beginning. Well, it all started really 1990 properly. I mean, we both were students at uh, the Royal Academy of Music in London and we joined there in 1988 and then during our time there we were assigned a project to perform a piece by Stephen Dodgson called Promenade. College was putting on a Dodgson Festival and we'd never done anything like this. It was a huge piece, a big piece, you know, 12 minutes long and we studied it and it took us a long time and a lot of work to put this piece together and uh, we were very lucky to have coaching from Stephen himself and he took us through the piece. He was very encouraged with the, with the outcome and it just got us interested in working in that way and it was, it was great fun working together. We'd never done anything like it and that was really the starting point and we started from there to explore other repertoire. Slowly but surely, what, what happened in the end, we carried on with our solo course and at the end of four years, Michael Lewin suggested that we re-audition as a duo. And they ah. created a duo course at the Academy as a Masters. Ah. And we auditioned for that and they awarded us a scholarship. And we studied for a further two years exclusively as a duo. And we began then to become very immersed in the repertoire. And it just really went on from there. We finished at the Academy and we got the scholarship to study privately with the Assads. At that time, Sergio and um, well, Odea still lives in Brussels, but um, Sergio at that time was living in Brussels as well. And so we had the Eurostar just kind of open, so the Channel Tunnel link was just kind of freshly opened. So we just went over there and had these lessons and then come back. And then, you know, like three months later, we'd go over again. And that went on for about two years, you know. During the Masters? Do, no, 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 we'd finished the Masters. So oh, this is okay. after, after the Masters. We kind of went on from there. And that was also great for us because we were just kind of starting our... Our 
So just in case you haven't heard of the Assad brothers, Sergio and Odair Assad are the primary reason guitar duos are so popular today, for which I am eternally grateful as it's one of my favorite formats for listening to guitar music. They have had works composed for them by composers like Piazzolla, Terry Riley, Nikita Koshkin, Roland Dions, and one of my favorites, Radamus Nyatali. Not to mention that they've collaborated with some of today's top musicians, Yo-Yo Ma and Gidon Kramer to name just two. So the opportunity for Eden Stell duo to study with the Assads was something really special. There's a particular recording we're very fond of, which is uh -huh. Sergio Assad's Bial, which is quite important for us because yeah quite an old recording that one you know if we're talking about the beginnings of our duo then that might be something to talk about because we studied with Sergio in Brussels before he right. before he moved to the States right. well they were they were really something else I mean it really made us realize where we were at with our playing um, you know we were doing okay but when you're with masters who have been playing concerts for many years and working together and have the experience they did I think we began to realize just what we'd embarked on. And I think Sergio particularly, he was always very encouraging. Uh, his lessons were very intense, very long as well. I mean, we'd often start uh, 10, 11 in the morning. We'd still be there at four or five o'clock without, without break. And he would, he would be incredibly detailed. And I think the main emphasis was about our musical instinct and how we actually worked together as a duo, not so much sort of the, the strict regime we had at the Royal Academy of Music. It was a totally different kind of thing. It was about looking at the music we were playing and finding solutions to make it yeah, work. Yeah, trying to make it work, yeah. Rather than look at the music we were playing and play it mm. and learn it really hard and make sure we've got the fingerings all right. It was more about an instinctive kind of playing. I remember many times, there was one lesson we had with him on Tonadilla. Rodrigo's Tonadilla? is the only work that Rodrigo wrote specifically for guitar duet and combines really virtuosic playing with lots of Rodrigo's characteristic colorful and dissonant harmonies along with awkward chord voicings and lots of fairly sparse sections where anything out of sync between the two players becomes very easily exposed. Here's a little excerpt of the Assads playing the piece. And, uh, you know, we played this for a couple of years at the Academy and uh, we've done okay, but the piece is problematic because, like all Rodrigo, it's not, it's not going to fall under the fingers very well. There are all sorts of things. Chords particularly, yeah, which are chords. just really badly voiced and things like yeah. that. So he would come up with like really clever little solutions. Revoicing? Revoicing or, re uh, re or reworking. swapping. Reworking, yeah, reworking it, swapping parts at different ah. times and stuff. So it suddenly kind of took a lot of mystery out of like, as you know, when you go to any institution and you're learning, there's a sort of formality about it. You know, you're kind of treading a, a very well-trodden path musically, you know, so you're looking at the score and you've got kind of respect for the score. And I'm not saying that Sergio didn't have respect for the score, but he would say, Actually, you know, this little tiny bit here could be better if we just zip this note over here and you played that and you played a bass note there and stuff. And we were like, oh, yeah, that's that's really cool. You know, I, so. think, I think he was looking at a much bigger picture. Yeah. He was looking at what would make this Best work. Uh -huh. You know, what's Rodrigo trying to get here? Yeah. Not let's play exactly what's on the score, because I think I think that's often the way. I mean, certainly with the, the new composers that we've worked with, um, I think uh, there's always scope for your own interpretive ideas and trying to make a piece work. And I think that's the biggest thing we learned from Sergio was how to develop our thinking and ideas, not just to follow a, a blueprint, mm -hmm. but to actually think out the box more. So just his total inspiration by just listening to what they'd already done, the stuff they'd already recorded together. 
Yeah, uh, and he was also kind of really complimentary. Like we, you know, yeah. we'd, we'd, we'd play something, and he would just let us sit there. Go, that's absolutely brilliant. Great, well done. You know, and he, so so he didn't feel like he had to comment on like absolutely. Fine. Yeah, that's yeah. fine. Like let's <laughs> move on now. You know, like this and stuff. It, yeah, it was just not that sort of whole thing where you go along to a teacher and they feel they're obliged to comment on stuff. You know, sometimes yeah, yeah. yeah because that's their job. You know, right. in a way, you're paying them to do that in some way. You know, but he was just like, mm, that's great, well done. Now let's see, let's hear something you can't play. You know, so so. <laughs> I also like to think we hit it off actually I think he and O'Day I think we spent uh, some time after the lesson so we either go to a bar or we played pool on occasion and mm. I, I like to think I think they did enjoy our company they certainly like the uh, the sort of funny side of it all and the humour O'Day found certain mannerisms quite amusing <laughs> about the way we played well I think I think his uh, he we, we, funny enough we played them the Dodgson piece Promenade which you couldn't get more English if you tried. It's incredibly centred around a lot of downbeats, a lot of sort of march-like rhythms with some bizarre contemporary moments. And an O'Dea just found the whole thing very amusing because obviously it's the total opposite to to what they do um, with their funky syncopated interlocking rhythms So when, when we first played him, I thought they just probably, I mean, Odea just looked at us and just thought, what? No, he just said it was, he just kept saying, this is so funny. This play it again, play it again, you know, and then he just go, and we go like, oh, you're going to say something about it. No, just play it again. I want to hear it and have a laugh at it, you know. It so, was. But then also, you know, we did, we did, we learned some of Sergio's pieces and we did the sweet Brasiliera. Yeah, and stuff. He very just... kindly found us the scores because mm. we, um, mm. we were, we were after yeah. these scores. I remember Odea saying uh, that the samba particularly was, he, he was going, you, do you really want to get into this? piece because it, it's it's really quite complex and, and it really is and Sergio's writing was another lesson in how to play a guitar now, a different kind of way of playing but very important for what we've done in the future um, we've moved away from that a little bit now inevitably because you know it's it's important to do that you can never emulate what the Assad brothers do or have done but the styles of playing that we learn from them this sort of textural playing that they do so well where you're getting shapes. You're looking at the bigger sort of shape of the music and not yeah. every single note. And the articulation. Texture and articulation, yeah. basically. It's what know, we learn kind of, so you know, much. Creating clarity within, because you know, the thing with guitar ensemble music, duo music, quartet or anything else, it's just a huge waves of texture and it's almost trying to sort of cut through all of that musically and bring out what's actually essential. Whenever you hear, because you know, obviously we hear lots of duos and quartets and stuff, because we both teach a lot, and you know, and that's that's the problem. We just go on about that all the time. Sergio was a genius at that, you know, yeah. really amazing. Okay, so the most exported musics from Brazil tend to be samba and bossa nova, but one of the most popular styles within Brazil is called baiao. Both having their origins in Rio de Janeiro, samba is African-derived music that grew up in the slums of Rio, which are called favelas. And we know bossa nova was a style that, while also from Rio, is clearly reserved for a more white and more economically stable class. So in Brazil, each of these ethnic and class-based divisions make both bossa nova and samba controversial. And that's where Baiao comes in. It is music from the rural northeast and is music with far more equal doses of African and European influence. And is also from a region with less drastic differences between class. And where there are economic differences, those are less tied to a person's ethnicity. The music tends to be in duple meter, and the instruments that make up the core ensemble are themselves a really cool mixture of cultures. It includes African-derived drums called zabumba, and the European accordion and triangle. So besides this amazingly cool sounding mixture of instruments, you might notice the syncopated rhythm played by the zabumba. It hits on beat one really clearly, and then it tends to hit just before beat two. 
Quando olhei a terra ardente Uma fogueira de This characteristic rhythm shows up all over the place in Sergio's piece. So let's hear it. Here is Sergio Assad's By Yao, played by the Eden Stell duo on their album Samba. Well, the Bayao is just a sort of rhythm, you know, this kind of which you hear kind of through it, but it's it's typical Sergio, you know, he takes a, just that little that little rhythm and, you know, he just works it into this such a, it's almost too clever, that piece, for its own good. It's it's so sophisticated, it's it's probably goes over a lot of people's heads in some ways. So when you see the score, you know, it's just, it's kind of, you know, it's kind of groundbreaking writing, really, because it's just rather like Ravel starting to write for the piano in the, you know, in the early in the in the 20th century, you know, and he's writing pieces like Ondine and stuff, and people have never seen piano writing so complicated in their life. 
Sergio is kind of one of those guys who's sort of done that and, and taken it to a whole new level. And nowadays, there are other people who are writing stuff in different styles, but, you know, sophisticated guitar writing. This is like us under the influence of the Assad. When an, an amazing ensemble like that, they come about, they set a such a high bar that that's the level you are looking to attain, you know, in a way. So any duo would have been just going for that at that time. So, so you, you know, think you're emulating that a lot. Yeah, totally. And also we're learning a lot from that. That piece was really fun for us to learn. You know, it's a kind of cathartic sort of process. You know, we wanted to work through it, yeah. you know, because in a way by by doing that and playing that kind of music and that style, once you've done it, you can sort of move on and do something else. But there was such a huge influence on us that we, you know, it's not something you can just ignore and try to sideline. It was an opportunity to study with him, with his music, yeah, that style, music. learn the musical sort of culture behind it. That was a powerful thing and it was great and enormous fun as well because technically that piece is you know it's on the right sort of boundaries edge. of like playability yeah. in, in especially if you want to capture what Sergio really wanted from us there's only one way to play it and that's that full pelt <laughs> you know, it's like just it really was and it was pedal to the metal this is why you know. it was so important because uh, no other repertoire had pushed us physically yeah um, we could only just manage it it was again incredibly good for us to to be in that place I don't think we'd ever been there before with stuff we'd done at music college, I mean, we certainly played some difficult repertoire and in the more traditional way, but this really was every last ounce of energy to make this work. And actually, uh, Sergio was very encouraging and it helped us a lot, so it's quite an important piece. I think it's a real soft spot for Sergio as well, that piece, because he's, he actually, it's funny when we started learning it, and he was like, I can remember him like sitting on the sofa, like in front of us going, actually, this piece is really good. He's like kind of, you know, he's like almost remembering it. He's like, going, perhaps I was a better composer then, you know, but of course, you know, he's written so many amazing pieces. Yeah. Great fun piece and a kind of big kick for us to just floor that piece and just go for it. The challenge was monumentous, but I think we did all right. So my favorite sight reading book is a book called Progressive Sight Reading. It's really the book that taught me how to sight read on the guitar. And it's by a composer and guitarist named Stephen Dodgson. But I was surprised to find out that Dodgson had also written a substantial amount of music for two guitars. Eden Stell's album titled Follow the Star is comprised entirely of Dodgson's works. I'm especially happy to be featuring some of Stephen Dodgson's music today, as sadly he passed away earlier this year. Bless, bless <laughs> his heart, Stephen Dodgson, who's uh, who's not going to be around that I much longer. I love that sight reading book. Yeah. <laughs> oh really? Yeah. Oh my god, that's I like I call that torture. That well, oh really? I yeah. Love that yeah. Progressive sight reading. We played his piece, the first thing we ever played. That's why we played us, together. Yeah. Uh, he wrote us this double guitar concerto okay. for string, orchestra and guitars. Uh -huh. So if there's any chance of whapping on a couple of bars of that. It's one piece, but it's kind of in three sections. Mm. The last section is, is really nice. Steve, Stephen is a very special person to us and actually, uh, you know, um, he's he's helped us a lot. And, and we, we felt that uh, we would like him to write us something. We played Pretty, pretty much all his stuff that you could play. We've done the trio with Mark's wife. And all his duos, all the duos. As Chris is saying, we started our duo together because we were doing this Dodgson Festival at the Academy mm -hmm. when we were just starting out. And our Michael, uh, head of guitar there, Michael Lewin said, I'm gonna put you guys together. And cause you know, you, you seem to get along very well and you've already started dabbling in duo stuff on your own. So here's a really big full scale piece go away, learn it, because you're going to play it in this piece and you're going to have a masterclass with Stephen. And we're like, Ooh, you know, we'd heard of Stephen and, you know, written famous pieces like Fancy Divisions, John Williams's performances of his music. Anyway, so he came in and Stephen was amazing. And um, so we had that very young connection with him. Later on, once we finished at college and we'd done our lessons with the Assads and we were sort of building up the career, we went round to his house and we were playing some of his other duos. And we kind of like sat down, we're having some food with him and his wife was there, Jane, a famous harpsichordist. We said, like, Stephen, you know, actually, we're, we're just sort of plucking up the courage to ask him whether, you know, you'd think about 
writing a double guitar concerto for us. And you could see this kind of groan. Oh no, you know, I don't want to write another piece. You know, it's kind of like this, oh for God's sakes. You know, it's like this. And then his wife interjected, so it went, oh, that sounds like a marvellous idea, Stephen. You know, you could see him like, shut up woman. Just like kind of like this, you know, I don't want to do that. Anyway, we sort of didn't say anything else about it. Uh, and then about a year, just under a year later, the huge a package, a huge up. score just arrived on our doorstep. The whole, the whole handwritten, thing, handwritten score out, just absolutely perfect. And Steve, Stephen handwrites everything. Yeah. And he, he also creates his own manuscript. And it's absolutely It's just wonderful. It's just at. so great. And we couldn't believe it. I mean, we, we'd literally not followed it up. There it was. And we looked over it. And then, of course, we were faced with a problem because we felt obliged. We must, one, record it and two, perform it. Mm. Uh, and we had an issue there because we, we had asked him to keep the forces very small, chamber orchestra, so it was practical, which he did. We managed to then get the funds together to do the recording of all his music. So we've recorded Follow the Star, the trio, and then all the duos, and then the new concerto. But then we needed a launch for this disc, and we simply couldn't get an orchestra for less than about £3,000. So what we did, yeah. we contacted John Williams, who we know has an affiliation with Stephen and has played his music for years. And we explained that we had this situation, we wanted to do this concert of Stephen's music, but we needed an audience. And <laughs> could he possibly come and play and something? In our concert. <laughs> to fill the concert. That's the exactly. <laughs> exactly. Which he yeah. did. And he came, he played Fantasy Divisions, and it was packed. Yeah, it was packed out. packed. So with the money that we got for the Ticket door, sales, yeah. we paid the orchestra. A just CD about. launch, just yeah, not just completely, about, yeah. but it certainly wasn't as bad as it could have been. Yeah, and uh, <laughs> and we managed to perform the piece, and uh, and I think now I'm hoping that we can, uh, we're, we're hoping we can do it again. We we have more contacts now, and we have more contacts with different festivals and things, and we're hoping that um, we can uh, pick it up again and, and have another performance, perhaps in London in the future. Yeah, yeah. but it's but it's a, but it's a special, it's, it's a really special piece. That, that but we were we were very lucky with that because it was like the, one of the first um, CDs we did we brought out on the BGS label which is linked with I, IGF International Guitar Foundation and stuff and they and they they put it out it's kind of interesting because they were a bit like oh a whole a whole Stephen Dodgson CD mm, don't know about that you know like kind of but anyway we were like no no do it do it, do it. put it in and um, we were very lucky got reviewed and got editor's choice in gramophone magazine so they were like absolutely over the moon you know they were like i can't believe we've got like a one of you know one of our cds is going to be like editor's choice so they were like that was fantastic so it kind of featured on the front cover of the magazine and stuff and um and yeah that was that was a really that was a great day so we would you know we were very proud and stephen was obviously extremely happy but typical stephen though you know he didn't write just what this is the most amazing thing about the story is that we didn't realize that actually our concerto is a is in a group of uh two other concertos so like three concertos so when he went away and thought about this idea, he wrote, he, he wrote three, but not not three for guitar. There's one for there's one for flute and there's one for harp, and then there's one for two guitars. It's like a series. It's great to be you know part of an even bigger picture. You know, yeah. that's great that the guitar's kind of in there. So and they've all been recorded and they're just wonderful pieces. They're fantastic, mm-hmm. amazing. So let's hear the third section of Stephen Dodgson's Concertino for Two Guitars and Strings. In quotations in the title is the word Le Dentel, D-E-N-T-E-L-L-E-S. And so I'm Googling the name of that word and I come up with a mountain range in France and I just double check with Mark about it from Edenstel and he writes me back just that it's an anagram of their two names, Edenstel. So I'm really happy I didn't go on to tell you that the piece depicts some picturesque mountains in France, all of which would have been an unfortunate invention on my part. This recording is from Edenstel's album, Follow the Star. They're playing here with Orchestra Nova, conducted by George Vass. Uh, there's no pause between the three movements of this work, so we decided to fade into the last movement.
you can find someone to perform with in a duo who you can kind of grow musically with. Um, so for example, like Chris and I were like, you know, when we first went to college and we started sort of just messing around with some lute duets and stuff like this, we were kind of like late teenagers just starting in college. And we were by no means musically formed whatsoever. We were real rough diamonds, you know, right. kind of so. So we, we kind of, you know, kind of grew together. So there was kind of like a, an idea that we could form our musical rapport and kind of develop it rather than sort of go through college, you know, you've done your degree and you know perhaps you're doing a master's and then suddenly starting to play together and at that point you know you're actually quite developed as a musician musicians are by their nature you know they get very set in their ways or they start to specialize in a particular way or play in a certain style or technique or something like that and somehow we kind of um, you know synthesized our playing together nicely in a natural kind of way rather than having to try and force it so we're very lucky that we started so young yeah Yes, I would, I would say probably Mark will take higher voices because he has a very, well, you'll hear on the recordings, a very sort of distinct and powerful sound that cuts through. And I think it's very important that that, that is taken to its full advantage because mm. I think it, it gives the duo a real edge. The way a duo works, it's not really the same as, as any other kind of chamber music because essentially most of our repertoire is being derived either as original music or it's being derived from keyboard or a single instrument. So right. when we're actually thinking about the arrangements now, we tend to just think about the balance and the colour we have, because we have different colours as different players. So mm -hmm. we tend to utilise our sounds in that way now, much more than we ever used to actually. That's become more important in our playing, I think now, mm. where we think about, certainly in Johannes's piece, we switched parts in a few places mm. just to get different colours coming through mm. and to get a sort of depth of sound. Um, so we, we used to try to, to almost play as one to try and match, to try and do the Abreo thing of being very uh, unified with sound and attack and play exactly the same way. But actually, the more we've gone on, the more we're moving away from that. Because yeah. I think the important thing is the musical ideas are coherent and that we're after the same thing. But the great thing is to, to extend the colour range and the dynamic range by making sure that our own playing comes to the fore so we're, we're always playing to our strengths people when they when they you know they they see us on stage they want to actually not only connect with us as a duo but they actually want to see two distinct personalities there and so the the characterization that we can bring within within our you know the the one idea the one musical thought but there's still sort of a distinction between us if you see what i mean you know you don't want two really boring guys who are just kind of so worked and so kind of like together in, in a way that's actually it really defeats the entire object you must well just hear a soloist you know what right. i mean if it's going to be really down that that lane you actually want to see two people with one kind of sort of general musical idea and thought but the two of them bouncing ideas off each other in a way and sort of yeah. developing as it goes so it's kind of a musical conversation feel like you change interpretation a lot well whenever we play it's always kind of unique things just happen and right. stuff goes on so it always feels obviously we, we have a kind of a musical you know plan which go along so it's not as if it's radically different but I think different. we're more right. comfortable now yeah. in our own skins as players yeah I think I think what's happened over the years we used to when we were students I mean, we used to practice a hell of a lot I mean many many hours and um, uh, probably too much actually as life goes on obviously other things come into play children family everything else mm -hmm. but in a funny kind of way we'll always say that actually I think the playing's probably got better now the actual sort of ideas of our playing we always played really very tightly and very together uh, yeah. but if I look at some of the early recordings in the early videos say 20 years ago and I compare it to what we're doing now I think what we're doing now has a bit more gravitas and a bit more personality behind the playing there's a bit more sort of feeling like we have something to say not that we didn't then but I think our efforts were put into so much the sort of technical side of perfecting things everything perfecting it and the ensemble and making stuff, every you know. little nuance the right the focus now is on communication so on the topic of communication Eden Stell Duo has been really successful and dedicated to community outreach. And I think this may be partly responsible for this new emphasis on communication in their performances. 
We ran out of time in our interview, so Emily Talami was kind enough to ask a few questions in my stead. I think the first experience Mark and I had with Outreach was when we were on a scheme called Live Music Now, set up by Yehudi Menuhin, uh, which was designed to set young classical players into the community and present their programmes to people that may not be aware or may not hear that kind of music. And what kind of um, venues have you performed at? It varies a great deal. I mean, it can be anything from uh, homes for the elderly to schools for young children, um, drug rehabilitation centres, centres for children with learning difficulties, and all of them provide their individual challenges and they're very rewarding in turn. And how did a programme develop you as players? Well, I think the essence with outreach is always, it's much more than just the playing. It's about the communication and the presentation. And as we went on, we got much better at this. It wasn't just a case of sitting down and performing our programme. It was a case of presenting the programme, making sure that we delivered some background information about the pieces we were playing. And also, perhaps, finding pieces that were similar to the repertoire we were playing. For example, if we were playing a bit of early Elizabethan music by Thomas Robinson or John Johnson, then... We would perhaps link that in with a more famous piece from the period, let's say, Greensleeves, and then deliver the programme in a context that the audience would understand and relate to. I think one of the most rewarding experiences is when Mark and I played in a drug rehabilitation centre, and we were quite worried about the audience at that point, as they all had headphones on, and they were all very much involved in their own music and I remember thinking at the time I don't really think they're going to want to hear our performance of Giuliani today but I could have been more wrong what we found and our approach at that particular venue was to first of all start by chatting to them and also by allowing them to play the guitar themselves and play things that they associated with and then Mark and I would pick up on that so whether it be a little song that they knew or a little riff that they were practicing we actually elaborated and played along with them and from there we then presented and linked it into some of the things we were doing uh, and they were then much more open to listen to and in fact by the end we did play our Giuliani piece and we had a lovely letter from one of the inmates saying how much he enjoyed the whole performance and the, uh, the whole experience of playing guitars with us and how it basically encouraged him to go back and practice again something that he'd left behind many years ago so I think that's the magic of outreach this communication and connection a little tip to the new players how they can get involved in outreach programs well I think my main advice would be just go out there and do it you'd be amazed at how many places would welcome a performance if you offered it and I think it's beneficial not only for the audiences but it's beneficial for the players and it can help develop them as communicators which essentially is what we're trying to do it very much helps develop a presentation style and it also helps you to think on your feet and it helps you to dip into different kinds of repertoire for different venues. By that I don't mean that you tailor your repertoire to certain venues. You always play what's true to you but you have different approaches to how you present that repertoire. So really I would say go out there and find it. There are schemes like Live Music Now you can audition for and I'm sure there are similar schemes in the States but essentially I think with the right approach you can pretty much go out there and play in different places and uh, do it off your own back. I think my favorite recordings of the Eden Stell duo are from their Baroque CD. Titled simply, Eden Stell duo plays Scarlatti, Rameau, and Couperon. It's really amazing playing, and their ornamentation is especially cool. If you can't find that CD, that might be because they will shortly be re-releasing it on the BGS label. We're going to hear them play Couperin's Les Carillons de Cidere. Please excuse my French pronunciation. Cidere, or Cythera, is the Greek island which was thought to be the birthplace of Venus, the goddess of love. 
And then we're going to hear Rameau's Rigadoon, which evokes the French bagpipe with its frequent droning bass notes. Yeah, yeah that's good. Yeah, that, that would be nice to have a Baroque, because we're currently playing this repertoire.
I think our influences come in here. Before the Assads, uh, we obviously were attracted to the Abreos, the, who were a fabulous duo back mm. in the 60s and 70s. In fact, I would urge people to search them out online because never heard of them. they are yeah. remarkable. Abreu is A-B-R-E-U, and if you type Abreu guitar into YouTube, you get this amazing clip you're hearing now. to listen to a lot of their recordings and a lot of their recordings were uh, Sergio Abreu's arrangements of Ramo and uh, the Baroque repertoire. The Abreus used to come over in the early 70s and like do these incredible BBC recordings but they were kind of unusual because they were trained as soloists but they just did some duos together but the duo part of it was just unbelievable you know it's like they would kind of do a little concert program and there would be a you know hilarious BBC announcer going I know the Abreus you know, again, as Chris said, definitely urge people to listen to anything that they've recorded, some old mm. recordings, which are kind of, you know, you, you have to really search them out. You can't go into a shop and buy them, but you'd have to somehow they are get them. There are, there are mm. online somewhere, and, and particularly the Santor Sola double guitar concerto, which is one of the best guitar concertos, mm. uh, double guitar concertos I've ever heard. It's yeah. just an uncanny recording. Just if ridiculous. you want to hear ensemble, <laughs> there, just... there is nothing. You'll never hear guitar ensemble like that. It's crazy. Just no, yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, that's, no. I mean, this is why we were attracted to this whole idea of doing a, a Baroque disc because of what they had done. Mm. We sent it to Sergio Abreu mm. uh, and we didn't expect anything. Mm. But we were one night we were woken at two in the morning with a fax machine going off. In those days, I have to say it was fax, not, yeah. not email. Yeah. And he sent pages and pages. It's a critique on our critique. recording, plus plus all his old arrangements, like kind of pushed through the fax machine. So there was this Maybe roll. This yeah, yeah, yeah. Luckily, <laughs> luckily, you know, we had a fresh roll on the fax machine, so yeah. it just kept pouring out, and it was it was Fortunately, really. He was very complimentary. He mm. didn't really have anything negative. Well, to he, say he found one note which was wrong in one of the things but it's so minute and he wrote out like what we had played and he wrote out what the actual should have been correct and also just from a personal point of view I think particularly Coupon, Ramo, Scarlatti I think they just are perfect for two yeah. guitars we've gone back to that mm. it's a big part of our concerts now mm. because it just fits perfectly with what we want to do we're so musically at home with that style mm. and stuff so yeah, it has a beautiful elegance to it But actually, now we have one other suggestion, which yes. might be very good. Uh, okay, well, we have a first edit. Now, this is not released yet, but we've just literally, Johannes as we Moller. got, yeah, that's just right. We had a we had a piece written for us by Johannes Muller and our producer just emailed. He just sent us this first edit of Johannes's new piece, which he wrote for us called When Buds Are Breaking. Uh -huh. And uh, so we thought as long as, <clears throat> you know, you um, don't email it on to anyone else, you could do a little bit, especially the last bit, which is kind of really cool i think it's okay it's only a first oh, it's edit it's but it's it's fine yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. and that's piece, it it's a, it is a special piece it's like 14 over 14 minutes long so it's quite big but yeah. the last section is particularly beautiful so before i have eden stell duo introduce this last piece titled when buds are breaking by johannes muller that by the way is the same johannes muller who won the 2010 gfa competition let me just say thanks for listening to all strings considered I'm your host, Scott Wolf. All Strings Considered is brought to you in part by Guitar Salon International, the world's largest selection of fine classical and flamenco guitars and accessories. Hey, don't forget about the GFA Festival this year in Louisville, Kentucky, June 25 to 30, couple weeks. And while you're surfing for the GFA and for the Abreu Guitar Duo and Eden Stell, stop by and rate All Strings Considered on iTunes, like it on Facebook, or follow on Twitter at All Strings. It has been my pleasure to present the Eden Stell Guitar Duo today. Hopefully we'll be hearing back from them again soon when they return with their other ensemble project, the Vita Guitar Quartet. Until next time, enjoy this last piece.
we remember Johannes when he was like 14 because we were we were te- we would well, teach on this like 16 hours yeah, he yeah. Wants, he's, he's actually yeah he's yeah. totally ageless he's just like a cherub you just <laughs> want to stick some stick some wings on his back and, and put a little lyre in his he'd be yeah, great he um, yeah. he's wonderful absolutely wonderful guy and we've known him since he was 14 because he used to come on this German guitar festival we used to go on every year and um, so we've seen him like develop over the years and just get better and better and we, we always knew that he was into his composing some years ago he was he was performing with his dad and his dad's an incredible flautist Matt and he's um and he played this piece in a program and the best piece in the program was by him it was just so colorful and so original and stuff and I just turned I leant over to Chris I just said we need him to write piece like now because either he's going to become too famous or too expensive or too busy so we need it now like this I kind of went up straight away and just said right it's a duo and he was like absolutely yeah so so and then you know like a year later this duo arrived and then he immediately just said don't play that one I've got a better one so he kind of wrote another one and there's this piece called when buds are breaking and it's uh, it's kind of a homage to homage Dale Chihuly who's like a glass artist from Seattle and Dale Chihuly is like a, one of the most famous he's actually I think he's one of the richest artists in the world we just played in uh, just outside Seattle actually and we went to the Dale Chihuly Museum and saw all these incredible glass artworks so the piece is you know it, it's it kind of really emulates the idea of him making all these beautiful things out of glass so it starts off very fragile at the beginning and sort of very you know you think this this piece will break any minute you know yeah. like this but then as a piece goes on especially the last bit of the of the whole piece which is called the journey you get this feeling of the sort of molten glass moving around and he makes these beautiful shapes it's, it's a so, remarkable bit of writing yeah, it's i uncanny. mean i've never seen anything like it the last 5 minutes of the piece are just on a, I mean, he's he's creating something with two guitars that I've never heard of before. Yeah, it's it's highly a, original. The textures and the, the the depth that you get within the piece, it sounds like there's at least four, if not six, guitarists playing. Uh, and so actually, it was an important piece for us mm. at a point in our career where we needed a bit of a, a kick. We needed a new mm. direction because if you've been playing for for 20 odd years 22 years at that time it's very easy to lose sight of that excitement you had as younger players yeah and I remember looking at the score when Johannes sent it to us and we just went God, we, we, were, we were totally we're intimidated we, we just, just were too old. We just—I just said there was like pages upon and pages, pages of, and, and notes pages. like you would not believe in. A, you know, and I just said, to "Chris, I'm just—I'm just too old for this. <laughs> you know, I can't. We're only human, for God's sake, you like this." But we but eventually I, got around. Yeah, did I it. have to say, Johannes has been incredibly patient. Yeah, he uh, because there were a couple of premieres that he came to. We didn't play it. <laughs> uh, when you have three children, when you have family, when you're, you're teaching, we have the quartet and everything. Time is very, very limited. But we were determined to do this, and yeah. I think now we have done it. And it's the sort of piece that will ignite imagination in young players. You start scratching the surface of the music, and you're like, "Oh, there's new things." So Johannes is—he's you know Very someone special. to be really yeah, reckoned reckon with. I think he's great.
enjoyable for everyone so that's all right totally that's okay. it's very nice we've got Cat. a bean